Hello and welcome to the podcast all about becoming a health coach. I'm Megan McCrory, a health coach in training at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Each week I review what we've learned and how I'm applying those lessons in my life. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm happy you found the podcast and a very special welcome to you. You may want to go back and listen from the beginning to hear more about my health coaching journey. Let's dive right into episode 20. This week in module 17, we learn more about coaching through secondary food. We look at the integrative nutrition plate and we then we get into cravings and food tracking. In the last episode, we went into how to coach through primary food, specifically relationships. If you're new to the podcast, secondary foods are what you eat, drink, inhale, ingest. This is what we think of as when we're talking about nutrition and feeding the body. Primary foods are the physical activity, career, spirituality, and relationships in your life. The concept of primary and secondary foods is taught in the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, or IIN, as a way to understand that we need not only nourishment from food and drink, but we also need to have healthy relationships, a sense of purpose in your life, a career that you love, and to be physically active in order to be in the best health possible. Primary and secondary foods are completely connected, and you have to address both at some point in your, cult, in your coaching. So today we're going to go through how to coach through secondary foods or how to coach what, we, what we're eating. Before we go any further, did you download the Circle of Life from episode 19? Have you determined which areas of your relationships you'd like to work on? If you need some accountability, drop me a line at becomingahealthcoach at gmail.com and let me know what you're struggling with. I'd love to help you out. So one of the issues coaches have when working with clients is they bombard them with way too much information. We have all this amazing knowledge in our head. We want to help people. And we are just like, if they just knew they would do it right, correct? You know, if they knew X, Y, Z, that would transform them. Well, most people don't need to know more information. They need to shift their behavior. Ask anyone what they should be doing to be healthier. They will tell you, I need to move more. I need to eat better. I need to get more sleep, right? They all know this ask them or maybe drink less or not smoke. I mean, there's, I mean, the list goes on, right? Everybody knows what they need to do, but ask them why they don't do that. And you're going to hear crickets or excuses either way. They're not doing what they know they should be doing, right? So what are you as the coach bringing to the coaching relationship? What's your job? What's your value, right? Well, your value comes in two ways. First of all, you are creating a space to develop self-awareness around how their inner workings work, and that will in turn help guide decisions and motivations later, right? So in another way, it's if they understand why they're doing things the way they're doing them now, then you together can identify ways to do them differently. And allowing people that space to talk and think for an hour is so powerful. Seriously, this is, it's, 
It's, have you ever sat down and had a really good conversation with someone over coffee and an hour goes by and it feels like you guys have been sitting there for three hours and you, you just, it's an amazing feeling. Think about that every single time with the client. So you are, you are that dedicated time that person needs to focus only on themselves. You are their accountability partner. And when you ask those high mileage questions and then sit back and let the client talk through what they need to say, they're going to have breakthroughs. It's, it's so, it's so amazing to see. Sometimes those breakthroughs come in between two sessions. Sometimes it takes them a little bit more time and they ruminate on it a little bit more outside the session. And then they come back and they're like, you know what I said about that? No, I'm wrong. I think it's this and this is why. It's so fun and fascinating to watch people learn about themselves and have better self-awareness of what's going on. So after they talk it all out and you guys can, you both, you and the client can start to see the why behind the behavior, you know, why is the behavior this way? And your next value comes in, in providing the right tools for that client to take with them to really affect lasting change. We talked about it before in the last couple episodes about the six month program change takes a long time. Um, and that's what you're here for. You're there to help them make lasting change. And I think this is where some coaches get nervous that they just won't have all the right answers, you know, and you just don't need to have all the right answers. You need to have the right questions. Um, you're learning what works along the way with each client you have, because each client is different. Um, you're bringing to them an understanding of bio-individuality and to know themselves better. And there's no way, there's nothing you can say to them, no answer you can give to them for them to know themselves better. You can only ask the right questions and let them find themselves and ask them in the end what they think they should do because those are always the best recommendations or what your own, what they, they think they should do is really what's at the root of what they want. What happens if you get a client that really pushes to know more about nutrition information than you have in your toolbox? They want to know about specific diets. They want to know about calorie counting. They want to know the real nitty gritty of nutrition, how it works and things like that. And even if you know that information, like that's not really the point of health coaching, right? The bottom line is that the behavioral changes and the relationship with the food are what's most important, okay? It's your job to ask those great questions to get them there. So for example, if you have a client that gets really stuck on like wanting to do a low carb diet, for example, it doesn't matter what kind of diet is or what the point is if they're obsessing or asking about specific things that are not related to how they work with food. You can ask them questions like, what is it about that specific detail that you feel will help you reach your goal, right? That's one question. Another question could be, what is it about that detail 
that you feel will change the situation for you, right? Or why is that XYZ important to you? When you bring the focus back to the client's relationship with food, you are helping them to become more curious about their own process with food. Like, when was the last time you sat down and asked yourself, why am I eating this, right? I did this the other day. I was, I knew I was getting close to the point where I needed to reset my food habits when I walked down the hallway to our little kitchen area and there was some leftover breakfast from a, a group that had breakfast down there. And I was eating that stuff and I wasn't hungry. Like I was just going back like an excuse. Okay, I'm going to go rinse my glass and then I would take another bite. Okay, I'm going to go get another tea and I'd take another bite. And that's the point where I had to stop and go, why am I eating this, right? I'm eating this because it's there, because I know it's there. I wasn't hungry. I wasn't looking for something, right? And then I knew at that point that my good eating habits had really slipped far enough for me to say, okay, Megan, you need to get it back in line. Eat when I'm supposed to eat. I'm not snacking. I'm not grazing, especially not when I'm hungry. And I had to refresh those things for myself. So I'm asking you, why do you eat what you're eating? Um, take a second, you know, journal about it, think about it, um, and ask yourself those, those questions like you would be asking your client. If you are still feeling a bit uncomfortable in the area of coaching of, of, of secondary food, IIN provides these kind of following 10 tips that are going to help you coach through secondary foods. Number one is just to offer support. Okay. The, the last thing people want to do is really change their food, right? So being supportive is the best thing to do in every situation, obviously. Number two, you don't want to prescribe any kind of diet. Um, I am never going to tell a client that they should go on the ketosis diet, for example. Um, if they want to try that diet, I know what it is. I can support them, but I'm not going to suggest that. Um, I would always suggest eating whole foods, you know, helping them find what's good for their own body and that kind of thing. Number three is to use the integrative nutrition plate as a guide. Now, this is a tool that I didn't, I haven't really used a whole lot from IIN. So every single government has kind of like their government, like the food plate, like in the US, it used to be the food pyramid. It's a plate now. And in Switzerland, they have one. In France, they have like stair steps and just Google Google that and you can see all these different kind of government guidelines for what should be on your plate. So Integrative Nutrition's plate looks very similar to the USDA's plate, except for they remove dairy because they don't believe, IAN doesn't really believe dairy should be part of your diet per se. Like you don't need dairy and a lot of dairy irritates a lot of people. So they chose to leave it off. So, you know, I think like one half of the plate is completely veggies. Then you have some whole grains and then you have some protein and that can all be related to whatever kind of diet you want to do. Um, of course, water. Um, they also don't put fats on there, although good healthy fats are great, but around the physical plate, around the, the food part, the secondary food part around that plate, they have listed the primary foods. 
Um, so the idea is that you have both of these things integrated together, and that is the integrative nutrition plate. And you can use that with a cut, you know, with a client, have them kind of draw on the plate, like what serving sizes they have. Now for me, that kind of feels a little bit elementary. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but for me, it doesn't feel, I feel like I'm pushing myself to do it. So I haven't used this yet with my clients, but it is there. Number four is to keep it simple, get really basic, provide resources like recipes, um, uh, great blogs with other ideas for healthy eating. Um, keep it very, very simple. Number five is to really accept what you don't know when you don't know something. So if your client asks you something, you can say, I'm sorry, I don't know about that. You know, you can look into it, get back to them, but don't try to wing it where you're not, where you don't know. If you don't know, say you don't know. People like it when you're truthful. Number six is to keep bio-individuality in mind. So this means to remain open, no judgment, Everybody's body is different. Everybody reacts differently. Everybody's in a completely different situation than somebody else um, in their headspace, in their body space. So we need to keep that in mind. Number seven is to gather evidence. I mentioned this in the last episode about um, keeping a diary, a food diary. Uh, food diaries are super important. Um, I actually keep a food diary all the time um, because, you know, what if someday I'm a little gassy and I'm like, what did I eat? Okay. Well, usually it's what I ate two days ago. That's making me gassy today or yesterday. And sometimes I just don't remember what I'm eating all the time, which is also bad. <laughs> um, but I write it down and I'm like, Oh, that's right. I had this. And you can start to see some, like some trends, you know, like, Oh, I'm always feeling a little bloated after I have sushi primarily because I have soy sauce, which has got lots of sodium in it. And then I'm feeling bloated because I'm, I have all this water retention. So things like that, I know that, okay, if I want to look slim in a dress, which I never, never bothered and that never crosses my mind, but okay. A lot of people would like to look slim in a dress. I'm not going to eat sushi two days before I want to go to, to, you know, to wear that outfit because it's going to make me gain water weight. So Gathering evidence, using a food diary is really, really important and really cool to do and to see. So try to get them to do at least three days of a food diary. Number eight is to ask high mileage questions. We're gonna, you're going to hear that again and again and again throughout my podcast. And also if you attend the IIN school, you're going to hear that a lot. Um, number nine is to help clients crowd out less nutrients food. So as I just mentioned in my previous Example, uh, my client wasn't ready to quit sugar cold turkey. Um, she could tell me very specifically when she was having her cravings and when she was eating sugar or sugar foods. And I said, okay, let's just try to switch some things out. You know, let's not try to completely go cold turkey. So just make the muffins from home, try to use less sugar in it, and then reach for your homemade muffin instead of a store-bought muffin, for example. And number 10 is to acknowledge areas that are going well. And I think 
that's off, with back with number one, offer support, probably the two best things you can do, support and acknowledge what they're doing well. And remember, the, the whole point of your coaching is to help your client become an expert on themselves, right? You're the, the only expert about you is you. And, and that's all you can do. So keep that in mind. Okay, let's move on to cravings. Um, we've all been there, right? Like you're something beyond us is forcing us to eat that chocolate or munch on the munch on the chips. Uh, it could be that you're not even thinking about it, but you know, you could be not hungry, but no matter really how hard you try, you turn into like some little crazy person and you stuff your face or you get hangry or whatever, you know, it's, it's all there. There's a lot of different reasons for having cravings. And I'm not talking about being hungry. Being hungry is not a craving. A craving is really where you're like, that sounds good. Like a really popular craving could be to, um, around Thanksgiving, everybody was like, oh, I really need to eat some of that green bean casserole that Aunt Joe makes every year. And that's, that's a craving. So I typically crave cheese. Um, luckily for me, uh, I live in Switzerland, the land of cheese. <laughs> Their national dishes are fondue and raclette. Both are prime 100% based in cheese. Um, those things that are not based in cheese here are still covered in cheese. <laughs> so it is really hard to manage a craving for cheese living here. Let me tell you, you may ask, okay, but why not just eat the cheese? Well, I do. I do eat the cheese. Believe me, I'm not without my cheese. Um, but the point is I don't want to have my body overriding my head. I don't want to be dictated by a craving. I want to be in control of what I put in my mouth. And when you crave something, it is definitely harder to accomplish that. Many people view cravings as some kind of a weakness, um, which often it's more, it's just an, a message your body is trying to get to you in some way. So when you're experiencing a craving, you want to ask yourself, what is my body trying to tell me here? And I'm going to go through eight different things that could cause you cravings. And this can help you understand what is my body trying to tell me? The first thing that could cause a craving is lack of primary food. And um, so, for example, if you are unhappy in your relationship or your, your exercise routine is too strong or not the right kind... Um, maybe you're bored or you're stressed or you're somehow not happy with your job. Maybe, I mean, a whole host of things that are not related to your physical body could have a cause, um, could cause you to do some emotional eating or be, or have cravings. Obviously, you know, when someone passes away there, most people turn to food for comfort. Uh, if you get in an argument, you might turn to food for comfort. There's a lot of things and there's, I mean, that's why we call it 
comfort food, right? (laughs) So um, food can provide this form of relief or escape, especially when you're under stress. Lack of that primary food or in any of those areas might be a reason why you could be craving something. And I think this is probably a lot of what people have going on. Second biggest cause I think of um, cravings is water. Um, people are not drinking enough water. People drink your water. <laughs> people say don't drink until you're thirsty, but I know people who are just not thirsty all day. And I think you get cravings, drink some water, and you'll see, hopefully this craving can go away. So the third thing is a yin-yang imbalance. So According to traditional Chinese medicine, um, there are certain foods that are more ying and certain foods that are more yang. And so with this kind of theory um, and also a similar theory in uh, Ayurvedic medicine uh, that this or the science of Ayurveda is that if you eat, for example, a diet too rich in sugar, which is a ying food, this may make you crave meat, which is a yang food. Um, or eating too many raw foods, which is a yin food, may cause you cravings for heavily cooked foods, which is a yang food. Um, so by this kind of, of yin-yang imbalance, you could see that maybe you if you avoid extremes, then you can balance your cravings, if that makes sense. Okay, number four is the inside coming out. So what does that mean? So cravings often comes from food that you've recently eaten or foods from your childhood, right? So think about it. The last time you went on a little bit of a binge, like I can remember when I was living in the States and I was driving to and from work, which I don't, I don't drive anymore here, but I was driving to and from work and I would pass a McDonald's and I would stop in and get some French fries. And then the next day, I'd stop in at the way home and get some French fries. And then the next day, I'd stop in and get some French fries. Was I hungry? No. But I had had French fries one day, and the next day, I'm like, oh, I remember this. I'm going by. I'm going to get French fries again. And those are kind of craving that I would have to reroute myself. (laughs) I would have to change the route on the way home to avoid that McDonald's in order to not buy the, buy the French fries. It's terribly difficult. I know it. It's, it's terribly difficult. The other thing in the same vein is, is foods from your childhood, right? Foods that you had growing up or was made by a loved one. Um, that those kind of things can also cause some cravings. The fifth thing is seasons. Seasons. Oh yeah. Who does not love eggnog? Are are you craving eggnog in the middle of the summer? No. Are you craving roasted turkey, you know, in the middle of the summer? No. Okay. You're, you're not craving these things then because that's not the season for those things. People crave raw foods and cooling foods in the summertime. This is often ice cream. Um, in the fall, people like usually crave more grounding foods like onions and nuts and squash. And you know, that's makes sense, right? Because that's when those foods are in season. So it it's natural that our body would like to eat more cucumbers in the summer, 
because that's when cucumbers are ripe, right? And it's natural that our body will turn to more things like squash and onion and root vegetables in the fall because that's when they're coming due. That's when they're, when they're ripe. So a lot of cravings are associated with the seasons, but it can also be seasonal holidays, like I mentioned, like eggnog, Christmas cookies, all that kind of stuff. The number six thing is lack of nutrients. Your body may be just telling you, hey, I am craving something because I don't have enough of XYZ in my system. So there's an, a disorder called PICA, which leads to extreme cravings of non-food things like clay. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that, like people eating clay. Um, also think about it. I don't know if you have a pet dog or if you've seen a dog eating grass. They say sometimes when a dog's eating grass, this means something. Um, so a lack of nutrients could mean something in terms of your cravings. Number seven is one that's near and dear to my heart, which is hormonal cravings. Um, I am not sure if men get hormonal cravings. I want to think that they do just to be fair, but I'm not, the world is not fair, but women definitely get hormonal cravings. We get hormonal cravings once a month during our menstruation cycle. I can tell you for sure that there is times in my menstrual cycle that I cannot stop eating. I'm constantly hungry. Um, women will get hormonal cravings during pregnancy, um, which I think most people typically think is like the peanut butter pickles combination, <laughs> but really it can be anything. So, and it's, it goes in both ways. Actually during pregnancy, a woman could be really craving a food that they don't normally eat. I've heard of women who are typically vegan or vegetarian. And when they become pregnant, they, they are just craving meat like super bad. Um, the other thing during pregnancy is they can have like an anti-craving, something that they are normally really enjoying. And now it's like, no, I can't have that. I can't have it in the same room. A friend of mine recently told me how when she was pregnant, she just could not stand the smell of bacon. Like who doesn't like the smell of bacon? And she's not vegan or vegetarian, right? The very last one is one that you probably wouldn't think about in terms of what, a, what causes a craving. And that's called devolution. Instead of evolution, it's devolution. Any big change that you make, really, if it's dietary or otherwise, is not going to happen overnight. And sometimes you may revert to old habits just because they're familiar and you're not ready to let go of them. So if this happens, you need to make sure that you're patient with yourself. Um, take a step back, you know, even if your diet really doesn't go well for a couple days or briefly, don't give up, right? It's just a part of you changing your diet. So when you get to the point, just take a step back and go, okay, I'm having an off day. Let's chalk this up to an off day and then move on from there. So one of the cravings that most people have, and many people would like to control, <laughs> is the craving for sugar or sweet things. 
Now, sugar is said to be at the root of many metabolic diseases, the most well-known, of course, being insulin resistance, which leads to type 2 diabetes. The guest speaker, Sarah Wilson, uh, was back. She was here earlier in some earlier lessons um, to tell us how to quit sugar. So the first step to quit sugar is to quit eating processed foods. Um, there are, there is so much sugar in processed foods. Um, it's incredible. It, you need to learn how to read uh, the nutrition labels, and then you'll see um, a lot of the hidden words, what sugar is called. I can put a link to a resource um, that will tell you all the different words that sugar is called in packaging so you can see. But the key is just don't eat packaged foods and processed foods. Basically, if there's a label on it, don't eat it, right? If it's processed and you have to read the label, it's probably, can you find an alternative? Let's say you're looking at some dressing, salad dressing, right? And you look at the back, you pick up the salad dressing, you look at the label and there's going to be sugar in it. 100%. There's going to be sugar in it. Even in balsamic vinaigrettes, they put sugar in. Uh, so take a step back and go, do I need to buy salad dressing or can I just make salad dressing some, from some oil, some vinegar, a few seasonings, maybe a little mayonnaise, maybe a little mustard? Yes, you can. You can even make homemade whatever, ranch, whatever. You can make it. It's so easy. So why buy the bottle? Just make it at home and you can control how much sugar you put into it. One of the best ways to stop eating processed foods is really to learn how to cook. Cooking your own food is super important to manage what you're eating. And also it, it, it allows you to have a respect for the food that you make. If you're buying a packaged food, you know, it's where's the love, where's the care, where's the concern for the food that's going in your body. It's not there. That food was made in a plant somewhere, uh, a concrete plant, and it means nothing to you, right? But think about the last meal your loved one made for you or your parents made for you or your grandparents made for you. Those home-cooked food meals are always better. And part of that is the love that's put into it. And when you make your own food, it is you loving yourself and taking care of yourself. And you're going to eat that food. It's going to taste better and it's going to be better for you. So learn how to cook. I implore you, there are so many YouTube videos out there to teach you how to do basic cooking skills. Do it, do it, <laughs> learn how to cook. Okay, but Sarah breaks down for us how to quit sugar in her book titled, I Quit Sugar. Um, you'll get a link to the book in my show notes. Um, she talks about how it takes about eight weeks to achieve freedom from sugar. Now, eight weeks is a long time in the land. It's two months. So it is a big commitment to make and you have to be ready to make it. So the first thing you need to start doing is just dialing down the sugar that you have daily. And I mean dialing down not just the sugar, but all sweetness, right? Yeah, your first step could be to replace it with something that's got artificial sweetener in it. But the thing is that 
your that artificial sweetener is still giving your body the signal that it's getting something sweet, right? So when you get the craving for sugar and you feed it something that's an artificial sweetener, in, in certain circumstances, your insulin levels can go up basically the same as if you had just eaten sugar. It's important that you start to dial down sweetness in general from your diet. But, you know, like if you don't like your coffee without sugar, try switching to tea, like switch to a fruit tea, right? That fruit tea is going to have some sweetness in it, but no added sugar. And then that's your step down. Try to identify all the foods that you eat with sugar in them and then make a plan. Okay, I'm going to switch it. This week, I'm going to switch that thing. I'm going to switch my coffee with sugar out to fruit tea, okay? And then next week, I'm going to switch my fruit tea out to green tea with lemon, right? Done. Two weeks, now you've gone from tea with coffee with sugar to green tea, right? This is amazing. You can do that with all the different types of foods that you're eating. And it's helpful if you try not to deprive yourself of, but switch these things out for healthier versions with lower sugar. That's really the best kind of way to do this. And depending on your starting point, you'll need to do this for a week, maybe more until you feel comfortable with now going cold turkey, right? So that's the next step. The next step is to go without sugar or sweeteners for eight weeks. And that includes fruit and fruit juices. Because remember, the point here is to retrain your taste buds to appreciate less sweetness and to kill the sugar dragon that lives inside of you um, that's rearing its head for sugar. So the first two weeks, you're going to notice that your skin and tastes begin to change within two weeks. Okay, Take pictures of yourself. eat similar foods and, and really taste what you're ta- you know, taste the food. Um, weeks four and five, your body starts going through a detox process. It's saying, oh, I'm not getting all of this added sugar anymore. Week six and seven, your appetite actually starts to change. Because remember, when you're eating a diet full of sugar, your insulin levels are on a roller coaster ride And when you're on a roller coaster ride and your insulin goes down, this is going to cause you major appetite cravings and you're going to be hungry or even hangry. Um, And when your body is not getting all of that excess sugar, your appetite starts to change. So after week eight, you can start to reintroduce fruits, but limit them to like one to two portions a day. And Sarah Wilson says, never reintroduce fruit juice because it has basically the same concentration of sugar as soda does. So even though there is healthy things in the juice, the amount of sugar that's in there is, is not, and you can eat fruit. It's not a problem, but you know, you want to keep that sugar dragon in check. This is also the time when you can reintroduce some kind of quote, safe sweeteners, things that are low in fructose. So like stevia or rice malt syrup, if you want, I found that actually I now I've been off refined sugar for quite some time. I probably should figure out how long I've been off refined sugar. And I found that like, for example, over the summer, 
we get free ice cream at work in the summertime. I know. (laughs) And I had an ice cream and I, and like within 30 minutes, I felt angry and I started to get a headache. Like that's how fast my body reacted to this intense and concentration of, of sugar. And I think that's what you're going to see when you stop eating sugar and really limit your, uh, refined, uh, refined carbohydrates, um, which refined carbohydrates act like sugar in your body. They, 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 your body processes them into glucose very quickly. So that's why I, I put those two things together. When you stop eating that stuff and you, then you have a bite of cake or you have an ice cream that is so full of sugar, (laughs) you're, you will feel it. You will feel it. It will be as almost as intense as having a drink of alcohol in terms of the level of feeling that you get in your body of something's going on in my body. Try it. If do it, I would strongly encourage you to try this. So, um, you know, it's, it's easy for me to say this, but I have, I have done this. I have weaned myself off of sugar. Um, it is another thing to do it yourself. I know this, um, you have to be ready for it. You have to want to do it, especially if you're currently hooked on sugar. This could be the, the feeling could be the most impossible thing that you're doing. So you'll need to work with your client's own bio-individuality to determine kind of what's best for them. And, you know, like I said, the first step, just switch out some stuff, switch it out. The most important part is not to push your client where they're not ready to go. It's okay if they say, I'm not ready to do this yet. Let's work on something else. You got to, you got to read what your client is telling you. So I have a question. Are you hooked on sugar? Okay. Cause almost everyone I talk to when I tell them that sugar is a, pro- you know, that I'm a health coach, they're like, Oh, I think I need help with sugar. I'm serious. I'm not joking. Um, everyone can benefit from reducing their sugar intake. So you could start first, try eating some sweeter vegetables like carrots, beets, and sugar, sweet potatoes, or adding cinnamon or coconut to a dish. Things like that will add some sweetness without adding extra sugar. But like every journey, it all starts with the first step. If you're interested in the steps for Sarah Wilson's program to quit sugar, I have an avail- I have it available to you as a PDF, free PDF for you to download and just check out the link in the show notes. And as always, uh, please email me at becomingahealthcoach at gmail.com and let me know if you're going to try this. Let me know if you're going to start reducing your sugar. Um, you can also hit me up. I have a Facebook page, uh, mybestself.fit Facebook page. Um, if you'd like to get in there, let me know. Um, I'd love to start up more like real-time conversations with you guys as listeners to know what you're thinking about, um, what's going on in your life, what you're struggling with. This also helps me to understand what I can focus on during the podcasts. So let me know, um, again, becoming a health coach at gmail.com, or you can uh, look me up on Facebook, mybestself.fit. And that's where I need to stop it for today, for this episode. But join me next time when we will talk about gluten-related disorders. Yes, gluten. 
and listening to your body and intuitive coaching. Like I said, all the links for all the resources I mentioned are going to be in the show notes. Thanks again for spending this time with me. I'm Megan McCrory and I'm, you've been listening to how I'm becoming a health coach. And until next time, stay happy and healthy.